morning. Well, how many are getting a sense that it's picnic season? Anybody hear that out yet? Yeah, some of you went, oh, I forgot all about this picnic today. Good news. You get a little more time. You could actually stop and grab some meat and join us at 2 o'clock because we have baptismal candidates getting baptized today, and that's always a fun experience. And also, for those of you that maybe live out of town, don't worry. You know, I, I made a decision a long time ago. People forget, and people need help. So I said to the staff, let's bring some extra uh, burgers, hot dogs, buns, and uh, so there's enough food. How's that? So you just need to come. You know, how many know you can't have a picnic without people? This doesn't work. We'll skip the ants, we'll pray for good weather, and we need you, the people, to have fun with us. And so kids are going to have fun, they've got activities for them, so we're going to do the baptism right away, right around 2 o'clock, as soon as we possibly can, then we're going to have something to eat, and then there'll be an opportunity for uh, activities with youth and, and kids, okay? So you're invited. How many know where Mackenzie Trail is? If you don't know, I think there's little maps on the, they have the, uh, a little map here to show you how to get there. It's not that hard to find. We'd love to see you there. All right, so this morning we're going to have communion service, and communion is important. You go, why is communion important? Because communion, like baptism, is a remembrance of why we are believers. It's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. But we are believers today in Jesus Christ because he came and conquered humanity's enemies. He's conquered fear, he's conquered sin, he's conquered the devil, he's conquered death, and uh, ultimately we're going to have these things in its fullness as Christ comes back to rule and reign. And guess what? When he takes over the planet, we're going to not have environmental issues, we're not going to have relational issues, uh, racial issues, poverty issues, you know what, things are going to really straighten up around here. So I'm looking forward to that leadership. How about you? And so that's what we're celebrating here in communion. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Christ's broken body, his death is actually what redeems us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. Isn't that beautiful? So Father, thank you this morning that we can become your children, that as many as received you, you have given us the authority or right to become the children of the living God. We thank you that you opened our hearts and our minds and our eyes to understand that you love us and died for us and now today, we're reminding ourselves again of your amazing love and sacrifice. I pray today that all the benefits of this great salvation would be ours today. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, Lord. So I just pray that you'll open the eyes of our understanding so that we'll grasp how great you are. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat this bread together. He said in the same way after supper, this is now the Passover, which the Jewish people celebrated every year. It inaugurated them as a nation. It was the, the beginning point of their deliverance. They left Egypt from slavery. It says after supper, he took the cup and he said, um, skip my, okay. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. So we're making a proclamation this morning. Do we understand that? What are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming the blessed hope. Jesus is coming again. The great hope that we have in this hour, maybe you're a little discouraged. Can I just encourage you this morning? The great hope in this hour is Jesus is coming back. Some of you are a little encouraged. Let me try that one more time. Jesus is coming back. That's our hope. Let's not lose sight of it. Let's not just focus on the problems, right? Let's look for the solution. Jesus is coming again. Thank you, Lord, for this cup that reminds us of your soon coming. Thank you for this cup that reminds you us for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for this cup that reveals to us your amazing love and gives us a future hope. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Just hang on to these little cups and if you can put them in the, uh, the garbage on your way out, that would be just so wonderful. I'm gonna give you a little break today. Oh. Melissa, would you mind handing me that little clicker thing over there by my water bottle? Yeah, that helps me advance the slides. Didn't bring it up. Thank you so much, appreciate that. Melissa's getting baptized today, yay. All right. So good. You know, I, 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 have, I, have, I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I was here Monday night, and I was teaching. We had four ladies in my class, and we just had an amazing hour and a half, and we just talked about, you know, the, the gospel and what baptism is all about, you know, and then they're going to get baptized. They're going to be baptized this Sunday, which says that I'm making an uh, outward profession of this inward reality of, of being a believer in Jesus Christ. So I think it's an awesome moment in the life of the church. This morning, I'm going to give you a little break from the book of Jeremiah, and I will come back to it eventually. You know me, we're, we, you know, I'm just traveling through this book, but I'm going to give you a little break today, and I want to talk about, do you know what you have? Because you know, a lot of times in life, we you know, long for and desire, and we look for what that longing and desire to be met when I think the answer is already found, and we're going to find that out. Um, Let me tell you we quickly discover that Christians are actually the wealthiest people on the planet. How many know that's true? And I'm not talking about money, okay? What I mean by wealth here is I'm, gonna, I, I'm talking about the blessings that money could never secure. It can't purchase these things. You say, what are some of these things? Well, how about a clean conscience? You can go to bed at night with a clean conscience, a pure heart, peace of mind, healthy and loving relationships, the guarantee of a father's love and care. Do you know God is so interested in every one of our lives that when we're gonna hear today, even when we go through times of testing, there's a, actually a reason for it that's not negative. I'm gonna shock you today. I know some of us think, well, you know, where's God in this mess? But I'm gonna point out to you that God actually has a purpose in these things. As a matter of fact, Warren Worsby was sharing a story a number of years ago. I was reading it. He said, you know, we're kind of like William Randolph Hearst. He was a very wealthy newspaper person. And he had invested tons of money in art. He just loved art. And he had warehouses full of art. And one day he was reading about this great 
a treasure that he decided he needed. So he sent his agent out to scour the land to find this, these pieces of works, these art pieces that he really desired. And so they, after months of searching, the agent came back and he said, I have found the art treasures, Mr. Hearst. Well, where were they? He said, they're in your art warehouse. <laughs> He had already owned them, but you know, he had so much stuff he didn't even realize he had it. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're like William Hurst, you know, we actually already have. I'm hitting a button and the lights are going off and on. I didn't know I had that much power. I thought I was advancing the slides here. Oh, Should I even be touching this button here, Chris? Because it's it's really powerful, I'll tell you right now. Uh, Let me just, well, no, that's okay. I can preach without uh, the PowerPoint slides advancing. Do you guys need PowerPoint? Okay, you don't need them, that's fine. I'm actually freer without them. You don't know that because now you can't see what I'm gonna say. I can skip stuff to my heart's content, do whatever I need to do, right? Well, let's take a look here. In Ephesians chapter one, we're gonna discover the means by which we as believers can learn about our spiritual identity. And also, not that I'm gonna focus on that. That's, that's so important. If I could, you know, if, if you're kind of struggling as a believer and you don't feel very strong, you know what I would do? I would focus in on chapter one of the book of Ephesians. And I'll tell you why, because in that book, It tells you who you are as a believer. It tells you how God adopted you, how he chose you from the very beginning. And uh, he redeemed us. He's given us these amazing riches. And then he kind of goes down the line here and he starts talking about how to appropriate these amazing riches in our lives. And that's found in the latter part of chapter one where the apostle Paul probably prays one of the most beautiful prayers in the entire Bible. Now, how many of you, aside from the pastor, how many of you ever struggled with prayer? And what I mean by struggling with prayer is you kind of struggle, what should I be praying for? Uh, You know, that kind of stuff. You know, you kind of wonder, like, what is it that God really expects us to pray about and who we are to pray for and why should we pray and all this thing about prayer? You know, it's kind of a big topic. You know, besides bringing God my own needs, I, I think I've got that down. How many here have kind of figured that out? You're kind of needy like the pastor is, and you you come to God, and you do have a bunch of things you need to talk to God about. Anybody besides me have got at least that figured out? Okay, good. A lot of you have got that figured out. But I'm going to move us beyond that this morning. And here we see probably, I think, one of the most powerful prayers. And it's a prayer actually to help us appropriate every blessing in God's storehouse of blessings for us. How many would like to tap into God's riches how many would like to receive all that God has for our lives? We can just, and I believe we access every one of these things through communication with God, through prayer. That's how powerful prayer really is. We're gonna see that as we read the text here. Well, notice in this prayer, before I get there, I wanna just give you a heads up. It's what we'll call an intercessory type of prayer. In other words, it's God-centered and it's others-focused. So I think there's a time and a place to pray for our needs. I don't think that's wrong, you know, because when I look at the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. That's a great place to put in everything you need, but I think it's also a great place to put in a whole bunch of things that other people need as well. That's an awesome spot. He prays not just because these believers are doing so poorly. Actually, he's gonna pray for the very opposite reason. They're doing so good. 
How many here didn't realize that prayer isn't just about praying for people in their need? I mean, that's usually what we think about, but this is actually praying for people who are actually excelling in their walk with God. How many of you say, well, I, I always pray for those kind of people too, Pastor. No, we usually tend to pray for the people that have all these problems, right? But I'm gonna expand our prayer life today. I'm giving you more ammunition to what to pray about. There's more things you could consider, and we're gonna see that. And then when people start doing good, one of the tendencies is that we stop praying for them. I mean, no, that's true. And yet when I look at people's lives, sometimes people are doing really good, and then all of a sudden they kind of curve off, you know? Maybe we should keep praying. It's just a thought. I think maybe we should continue our prayers here. Now, that does not negate us not praying for people that are in need. I think we should pray for them as well. So two things stand out in my mind about Paul's prayer. He prays continuously and surprisingly for people that are actually doing well. So let's take a look at this prayer, starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. So now you've got your Bibles in front of you. You're going to have to use those. No PowerPoint clicking for you guys this morning, okay? Let's turn there. Okay, there's a Bible in the pew. Oh, look at this. He's got me there. Uh, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, thanks, Chris, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ever since I heard about your faith, that suggests to me he doesn't know these guys. I heard about it. He doesn't know these people. So that says to me, number one, we could be praying for people we've never met. I believe that one of the things that starts happening when you, when you start becoming a Christian and you start relating to other believers in community and we start praying together, we start hearing about needs, about people we don't know. I have no idea how many people, I have prayed for thousands of people I've never met before. Some of you say, I have too, Pastor. Isn't that true? You know, we ask you to give us prayer requests in our church. What do we do? We fill those cards out, and then I divide them up in our staff meetings, and we pray over all those needs. And let me tell you something. I know some of those people, but I don't know all of those people. And when you come on Tuesday nights and we're praying, that same thing starts happening. But we're praying like the Apostle Paul prayed. We're praying for people that we've heard about through others and we're praying for their needs. And many times we hear back that God answers that prayer through the people that we know. It's really powerful. But I I think it's interesting. Paul is praying for people he does not know. How many know that that's already expanding us as an individual? We're moving outside of ourselves. Does anybody think that's a good thing? I think it's an awesome thing. I think we got to get beyond ourselves. This is one way we start engaging with people beyond ourselves. We, our capacity as a human being is expanding. How many here want to grow as a person? The only way that happens is when you get outside of yourself. You're expanding beyond yourself. Then he, then he goes on and he says, um, he remembers them because of what? What does it say here in verse 16? I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Oh, verse 15. I've heard about your faith and your love for all God's people. I've heard about some things about you. And I love these verses because it's their faith in the Lord Jesus that was being demonstrated as it was being manifested in their loving actions. You know, Jesus said that people will know we're Christians by what? Not by what we know, it's by our love. And so 
Paul was hearing about some of the manifestation of their faith expressed in love. And I think that is so powerful. Uh, Kenneth Wee says the faith described here is not the initial act of appropriating faith where we're saved, but rather it's the day-by-day faith that's being exercised in our daily living for Christ. And I think that's powerful. And that faith is expressed in certain behavior. One of them is just praying for people I don't know. That's expressing love. Maybe we don't think of it that way, but that is a loving thing to do. We're concerned about others. In the book of James, he challenges us regarding our faith. He says there, uh, what, is it, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but he doesn't have any deeds? He says, can such faith save him? So now James is challenging us that genuine faith produces something. Isn't that true? Now, we're not saved by good works. We know that. We're saved by faith in Christ. But if we're truly saved, it's going to produce something. There should be an evidence of it, and it's manifesting itself in the way we're relating to other people. And that's why he goes on to say, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. Wow. In other words, this faith should actually move our lives in such a way that we're beginning to serve other people. We're beginning to be concerned about other people. We're beginning to exercise our lives in caring for others and doing things for other people. We're moving outside of ourselves. Actually, we're maturing. We're growing. That's how you know people are growing is when they move past themselves. When it's all about me, that means I'm immature. But when I move past myself, it means I'm maturing and I'm concerned about other people. That means I'm growing up. Isn't that beautiful? I love watching it in people's lives when I see them moving past themselves and they're telling me that they're concerned about this or that person or this thing. I'm going, that's so beautiful because it's telling me they're maturing. And I believe God's rejoicing over that. You know, one of the critical elements of a healthy church family is the expression of love that we have for one another. You know, some of you may not know the name Vince Lombardi because if you're not a football fan, you probably wouldn't know who he is. Vince Lombardi actually is a very famous coach. If you win the Super Bowl, they present the winning team the Vince Lombardi trophy. Isn't that interesting? And you say, why? Because Vince Lombardi was an unusual coach. He, he produced championship teams. Actually, he died of cancer at 57. Very amazing person. But you know, he said something very profound about championship teams. He said this. He said the difference between a, a, good, a great team and a championship team is that the championship teams, they love each other. That's what makes them distinctly great, even greater. And you know, when, when, when people begin to love each other and they begin to do what they can for each other, it produces something so exciting and dynamic. It produces a, a, a viable situation, a healthy situation, a dynamic situation. Actually, the word used here, that word love, is that word agape in the Ephesians text here. That, a word agape is not uh, human love. It's actually the love God shows for us, it's that unconditional love. It's the divine love. And so God wants us to love each other uh, unconditionally. That's very challenging, isn't it? To love people, because every one of us in this room, we have faults and failings, do we not? And so for me to love someone, I have to overlook the things that irritate me. Isn't that true? Come on now. And if we're gonna stay married to a person for a long period of time, if we're gonna say, I love you, you have to overlook a few things. Come on now, it is the truth. It's, you, know, you guys are chuckling, but you, you know what I'm talking about. That's the way it works, guys. 
And, you know, we have a generation now, it's all about us and what my needs and how you're going to meet my needs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong approach. You're focusing in the wrong direction. You're focusing inward when really love is focused outward. And so we need to focus out. So God forgive us for not praying for those we don't know. And, and we begin to start loving and moving beyond ourselves. So praying for each other will do far more for the kingdom of God than any other activity we're engaged in. It demonstrates our dependency on God. So I think prayer is an activity. It's a demonstration of faith. So Paul doesn't just give us his reasons for praying for the believers, but I think he gives us three specific requests that God, I believe, desires to answer that will enrich our lives. We're going to appropriate what God has for us. How many want to raid the storehouse of heaven today? Anybody want to go into the bank of Jesus and say, I want to take out, uh, I'm going to, t- uh, you know, withdraw some blessings from God? How many are open to withdrawing from the bank of heaven today blessings from God? Anybody, a- how many want to access God's bank, bank account? Okay, good. First of all, here's the first prayer request. Number one, I love this request. He says, I pray, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Father, verse 17, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That we might know God better. You know, what we're going to receive from God is simply, basically, from God, and it's accessed by asking. He's our Father. We've got to ask him. We've got to come to God. That's called prayer. So we learn from people who know God. I mean, no, that's true. We always learn from people who know more than we do. Does anybody think that's true? Of course it's true. That's how we learn. You know, Paul's prayer is a reflection, I think, of his spiritual condition. What our hearts desire is expressed in prayer. Hadley Mould, who was, you know, he, he lived in the 19th century, says they, speaking of believers, are to be thankful and never to rest in respect of the realization of what they have discovered. And then he goes on and quotes Augustine, who was in the 5th century. He says, he who says enough, writes Augustine, somewhere is already a lost man. What does he mean? That you and I are never satisfied with what we have in God. That's what he's going to talk about here. If the Christian is indeed one who has caught a genuine glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, how can he not be sure that he has still before him indefinitely greater discoveries there because we go from glory to glory? So basically he's saying, man, how many know there's there's depths in God we haven't even reached? Actually, you know, if you're married to somebody for a long time, you really get to know them pretty good. You might say, well, you know, I know them. I'm rarely surprised by what Patty's going to do now because I've been married to her for 43 years. But I have to admit to you, there's things God does. I'm shocked. God does stuff that really surprises me at times. Anybody besides me that happens to you? And you know what? I figured it out. There's so much more to God than I can even understand or discover. I'm still learning about how great he is. And so every day I'm on a discovery about knowing the one who is you know, in a sense, unfathomable. He's, he's, we, how can you search the depths of Almighty God? It's, it's just like you're diving into an ocean. Man, you, how many think if you jump in the Pacific, you're gonna be swimming every day for a long time? Or drown, right? I mean, it's amazing thought. God is amazing. So there's a lot more to God. There's new discoveries regarding his nature, his character, the way he operates, the way he thinks. 
Do you know, Moses prayed that God would show him his glory. God says, I can only give you a little foretaste. I can't give you the whole, you know, the whole aspect. You're only gonna get a little glimpse of it. Here's Paul's prayer. Now, Paul's in prison at near the end of his life, been walking with God all these years, and he says this, I wanna know Christ and the power, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Hey, excuse me, Paul, don't you know Jesus? Of course he knew Jesus. But he said, man, there's so much more to know, he says, and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. An amazing statement. He's saying there's so much more of God that I want. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I wouldn't make a statement today. I've thought about this. Think for a moment, every aspiration, longing, and desire in your heart is actually a deeper cry for more of God. You may think it's for something else. I would say anytime you have a desire, an aspiration for something outside of God, that's really an idol because the longing in your soul isn't ultimately for that. The longing in your soul is for something that God has for you. And we need to turn our face to him and say, God, I want to take all my, 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 my longing, and I believe there is a longing in every human heart because there's, there's more that God wants to put inside of us. That longing should be compelling us to move towards God. You know, I want to I share this little thought about uh, how God really works at trying to help us get to know him better. This is going to shock you. God actually brings tests into our lives to help us to get to know him better. Watch what happens when God, this is near the end of Abraham's life. Genesis 22. It says on the third day, God, God told Abraham, he said, I want you to offer up your only son, the one that I gave you, the son of promise. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance where he was supposed to offer Isaac. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then he says something very powerful. This next line is extremely powerful. We will worship and then we will come back to you. But wait a minute, Abraham. You're offering up your son. What do you mean he's coming back to you with, with you? Well, the book of Hebrews kind of gives us a little bit of an insight because it says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, Offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about the sacrifice as one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, your offspring will come through Isaac. Well, if he kills Isaac, how is his offspring gonna come through him? Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did raise Isaac back from the dead. Yeah, we know the story stopped him, and then Isaac, he said, no, I, now I know, Abraham, there's nothing in your life that is greater to you than me. And then he says he saw the ram caught in a thicket, and he went over and took the ram, and he offered up the ram, and they both came back down the mountain. Beautiful story. How I many know that was a big test in Abraham's life? Far more profound than what we'll even realize in this room. But I think at that moment, God reveals something to Abraham. I, well, I can, I can tell you two things for sure. Number one, he knew that God was the God that could raise the dead. Number two, he, can, he knew the God that could see what was going on and he was the God who could provide what was needed. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something very fascinating in John's gospel when he said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. 
What day was that? I believe this was the day. You know, I don't know the conversation between God and Abraham. The Bible doesn't tell us everything they said. I wonder how much God revealed to Abraham that day. I wonder if he had to tell Abraham, even though you had to offer up your one and only son, you know, and then I stopped you. Actually, the provision that you got in the thicket, the substitute, is actually my son. I wonder if he told him that. I wonder how much God revealed to Abraham that day. Now, I'm saying all of this to make a point. You say, well, what's the point, Pastor? It's simply this, that when you and I uh, are in times of difficulty, tests, challenges, this is, you know, we're kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness, you know. We usually grumble and complain. Nobody in this room does that, I'm sure. You know, we don't, we don't walk around, you know, carrying on about why does God let me going through this? What's going on here? Where's God in this mess? You know, is that how we see the test? Or do we have an attitude going, oh man, this is so amazing. I'm in the middle of a test. What is God gonna reveal to me about who he is? I'm gonna get to know him better through this experience. Isn't that our attitude? Or is it the first attitude? Or is it the second attitude? So I'm just saying to you, if you've always wondered, what should I do when I feel like my life is falling apart and I feel like kicking and screaming and carrying on? I mean, you you could complain to God. I mean, the psalmist does do that. Might be another idea here is to say, oh, good. Like, you know, James tells us, he says, count it pure joy when you fall into all these problems. You're just going, okay, God, what are you doing? What am I gonna learn about you to know you better? What are you gonna reveal to me through this experience? I'm just throwing that out there. That's another approach to the same thing, right? I mean, isn't life really what's going on between our ears, in our mind? You know, I I don't think the wilderness people appreciated the power and the grace of God to overcome difficulties. Can I make that declaration today to you, right now? Whatever you're going through, there is power and grace for you in your situation. God has not forsaken you. He's going to reveal to you something about his nature. God is going to come through in a way you haven't thought about before. He's there for you. Let me move on to the second request, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened. You know, it's so interesting to me, that word heart. You know, I think I've said it so many times to you, but the word heart When we think about it, it's not the physical organ pumping in our body when the Bible talks about heart, usually. It's talking about the essence of who we are, our entirety of personality. It's talking about our mind, our emotions, our will. It's talking about our intellect. It's talking about the essence of our being. So he's praying that the eyes of of who we are is awakened. You know, I I think some of you right now are asleep. You say, well, no, I, I got up this morning. No, 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 no. Spiritually, we need to be awakened. How many here do you think that we probably need a quickening? Isn't it amazing when you're reading your Bible, all of a sudden, Scripture starts leaping out at you, and you're kind of going, whoa, where did this come from? I'm just seeing things I've never seen before. It's kind of like an awakening happening. How many here say, no, pastor, I'm ready to, for God to rouse me from my spiritual slumber. I want God to wake me up a little bit. I want God to start really speaking into my soul right now. I want God to, I want to hear what he has to say. You know, how many times uh, people were looking at God himself. Sometimes God's a little obscure to us. You know, here's the Pharisees. They're looking at Jesus and they're trying to correct him. How many think that's so ludicrous when you think about human beings trying to correct God? Were they not doing that? 
Actually, even the disciples were pulling that stunt. You know, Peter's rebuking Jesus. Uh, here's the person that's calming the waters and the sea. Here's the one that was walking on water. Here's the one that's raising the dead. Peter goes, you know, I'm gonna correct you, Jesus. Hey, who are you? Well, he's God. I don't know about you. I think God knows more than me. We shouldn't be trying to correct him. He should be correcting us, right? Think about what he's, he's doing here. Then, then you have, uh, you know, the disciples, after Jesus told them how many times he was gonna die and rise again. How many times did he say that before he did it? Probably more than once, a few times, you know. And how many know they didn't get it? How many know they didn't get it? How many know they were so locked into their current situation? They were so locked into their emotions. They were so locked into their feelings. They were so locked into the crucifixion. They were so locked into their disappointments. They couldn't see what was going on. So all the time, these two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes alongside of them. They were so messed up, they couldn't even recognize Jesus. And he's talking to them. How many go, why was that? I don't know. They just didn't get it. You know, I think sometimes God's walking with us and we're not, you know, we're carrying on having a conversation. He's walking right with us. You know, then it says this. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He said, you guys don't even believe your own Bible. Sometimes God has to say that to us. Hey, listen to what I said here. Didn't you guys get this? Uh, sorry, Jesus. I'm slow on the uptake, right? He goes on and says, then their eyes were opened. Hey, how many need our eyes to be open? Can you please open my eyes? How many have ever had those moments you go, aha, I get it. Isn't that amazing when you have an aha moment? You ever have those aha moments where you go, I get it. You know, somebody's been trying to explain it to me and you have somebody else try to explain it to you. You have somebody else try to explain it to you and you're just like dull, like I just can't get this. And all of a sudden, boom, that moment comes. You go, I get it. They opened their eyes were open. They recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And then they said to each other, were not our hearts what? Burning. They were on fire. Man, we, were, we could feel the fire of God in our hearts as he's what? He's, while he's talking with us on the road and he's opening the scripture to us. The word of God is coming alive to us. Was not our hearts burning, but they had to have the eyes of their understanding enlightened. Man, do we ever need that? Paul prays for that, that they'll understand these concepts, adoption, election, redemption, forgiveness of sins, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Don't you think we need to have that? You know, sometimes we walk around as Christians, he says, you have every, you know, every, everything you need for life and godliness. We're walking around going, I'm defeated. God says, wait a minute, I've given you everything you need for victory. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What's this inheritance? It could mean either God's inheritance that he has in us or that as believers, we are his inheritance. Or it could mean both because we know that we are God's inheritance because the Bible says that in Deuteronomy. You know, when, when uh, Moses was praying, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance. So we are God's inheritance, but God's our inheritance. Powerful. God's inheritance then is in the sons of men who by their own choice and act permit God to mark them with the impress of his own image. You know the tragedy as human beings is that we choose to mar the inheritance of our maker by our own sin. We mar it. Our inheritance. You know, I remember reading this story and, and uh, this guy was a contractor and he, he was really good at it. 
And his daughter, the family grew up, he got older, his daughter got married at marriage age. She married a young man. He wanted to take over the business. He was learning the trade. And he had a different value system than his father-in-law. As a matter of fact, his father-in-law and his wife, they left and he said, listen, we want you to build this beautiful home. And the young man decided, you know what I'm gonna do? He knew what he needed to do, but he wanted to, say, he wanted to make a lot of money. So he took all the shortcuts and built it with not the best materials, just to save money, right? When the father-in-law got back, he said, you know, mom and I decided we wanna give you your inheritance ahead of time. Here's the keys to the house. (laughs) How how many know that at that moment, he probably was thinking, that was a dumb thing to do, right? You know, he built an inferior house for himself. And you know, that's usually what we kind of do as believers. You know, we're so busy living life. When we, when we walk around and commit sin, what we're really doing is diminishing what God wants to give to us because we're marring his inheritance, which is us. And that's what sin does. It always diminishes us as human beings. I, I believe sin is a dehumanizing factor. I say that over and over again. It's the truth. I'm watching it in our culture today. Uh, we destroy his inheritance by living in rebellion to him. But we also destroy our ourselves in the process. And it's so true, I see it all the time. God, however, takes our brokenness and creates something of eternal value. What we are in Christ has eternal significance. So let's not despise what God is doing in our lives. Notice the expression, his holy people, or the saints. For those who act as if they have no need for any other believers, we're missing the word saints. This is not... Uh, the church is not one single believer, it's many believers, you know. It's, it, it's not just about me, it's about us, you know. We gotta change our thinking, folks. North Americans, we're too individualistic. We gotta think in terms of community. We rise and fall together. We gotta learn how to love each other. We gotta learn how to stick together. We gotta learn how to value and appreciate one another. We gotta accept that there's sometimes people won't think, won't see eye to eye or think the same way, but we need to learn how to glean from each other and value one another. That's, that's, that's work, that's part of maturing folks, by the way. You know, instead of trying to make everybody think, you know, the only people I hang with think exactly like me. Well, then you're gonna be a very limited, narrow person. You know, we need to open our souls up. We gotta have people in our lives that think differently. And when you can do that, that's a healthy thing. You can, accept, you can accept a broader base of people. But let me move on to the final request, to understand his power on our behalf. Here Paul describes for us in various terms the power that God's working in our lives. Listen to what he says here in verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength or energy he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, that's a big Beautiful text of scripture, but I need to unpack some of its meaning. Otherwise, we read this stuff and go, well, that was nice, but what does it mean, right? Ever read scripture and you go, that sounded really good, but what does it all mean? I think it means a lot, you know? God has given us the same power 
that raised Jesus from the dead. So what's that power? Well, the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus from the dead, okay? Can I tell you something? If you're a child of God this morning, God resurrected you from the dead. You were dead in trespasses and sin. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead raised you from the dead and now lives inside of you. That's the spirit of God. How many say, whoa. So right now, you are a container of the living God. Bible says you're a temple of the living God. You actually, you are carrying God everywhere you go. How many think that's pretty neat? You know, we have this treasure in clay vessels. What treasure? The power of God, the living God living inside of us. Is that my, that, that's a little heavy to take, right? You know, we're walking around carrying God. Everywhere we go, we're bringing God to every situation. Could you, if you just started thinking like that, if you got up every morning and go, okay, Lord, we're going somewhere today. Where are we headed? And what are we about to do? Because I know, I, I mean, I'm nothing, but the power inside of me is everything. And if that power comes out of me, man, that's gonna zap people. It's gonna get people in a very powerful way. It's, it's an amazing thing. You know, Francis Falk says, there is given to the church and for the church's benefit, um, a head who is also head over all things. And therefore the church has authority and power to overcome all opposition because her leader and head is Lord of all. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, listen guys, the same authority, not just power, but the authority that Christ has, he's passed on to us. We have authority. We, we, we are not, you know, we look, you know what our problem is? We look at ourselves and our weaknesses. How many say, I tend to do that, Pastor? I look at my deficiencies. I look at my weaknesses. I look at my sin. I look at all kinds. I'm looking at myself, and therefore, it just nullifies me from doing a lot. Can I tell you something? Get your eyes off yourself. Please take your eyes off yourself. It's hindering you from moving forward. Get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on him. Start seeing him. Because the moment that starts happening and it's not about you anymore, it's, you know, you're just the little clay jar that's bringing the power and the presence of God into situations. So if you're hung up on, well, I'm gonna be full of myself, don't worry. That's the problem. When you're looking at your weaknesses and sins, you are full of yourself. But when you start looking away from all of that and saying, in spite of all of these things, I'm looking to God and realizing that God uses imperfect people. You know, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Every one of these characters that God used were just like you and me. They were sin, flesh and blood, weaknesses, had fears. Oh, Gideon, are you afraid to go fight that battle? Yeah, you bet I am. You just got rid of a whole army, you know? He said, well, go down there. I'll show you. I'm going to do it. Oh, and then he hears the dream of the Midianites saying that it's, you know, a little barley loaf is going to flow in. The guy interprets this as that, that's nothing other than the sword of the Lord and, and Gideon. We're going to be defeated by, the, by them. Isn't that amazing? Do you know you and I? only need one, I mean, we need each other, but we also need God. And when God is in the equation, great things can begin to happen. We need to understand that. You know, I love the imagery found in the book of Joshua. Remember the story, Joshua routes five kings, and then he, they put the kings for, they go, they go chasing the army, but they put the kings in the cave. And then you read this text. And when they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and he said to the army commanders who had come with him, come over here and put your feet on the neck of these kings. So he had the kings lying on the ground. These are the people of great power and authority. He says, now I want you to put your dirty, grimy little feet on these guys' necks, okay? So they can come forward. And so they came forward and they placed their feet on their necks. What is that speaking of? That they're in subjugation to you. 
They're subject to you now. They're not subjugating you. You're subjugating them. That's what he's saying. Is that true? How many are following that? Then he says this. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Can I just say something right now? When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he dethroned Satan's authority and power. He brought him down, and he's now defeated, and he's saying to you and I, the church, we are what? We are the body of Christ, therefore we are the feet of Christ. So where is Satan? Under our, that's good Bible. Listen to what Paul says. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Is that powerful? You know, we're walking around going, you know, the devil did this and the devil did that. You and I have authority. We're the body of Christ. You say, even if I'm the little toe, Satan is where? Under, under. We have that authority. So I want to close with a story of spiritual battle because you know what? This is what spiritual battle looks like in life. And you know, I, I, I love, uh, I've heard Pastor Jim Simbel a number of times. And I remember reading this story and it's so moving. He shares uh, his story. I, I've even heard him share it when he was preaching about his daughter, Chrissy. And, you know, he said she was great, beautiful girl, loved Christ until she was 16, and then she just went nuts. She ran off with an ungodly young guy, broke the pastor's heart, his his wife's heart, and he said for three and a half years, we lost our daughter, you know? And he was just crushed. And he said, I was so brokenhearted, he said, I could hardly minister in my church. He was so distraught over the situation. But he said, in the middle of all of this, God was moving in that church in New York City. I mean, they were, you know, Carol uh, Cimbala was leading the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. They were making records. People were getting saved. The church was growing. Uh, They were working, you know, like, because, you know, in New York City, there's, you know, in Brooklyn, there's a ghetto. And they were working with all these drug addicts and prostitutes. And God was doing miracles and delivering people from sin. Meanwhile, for three and a half years, He's carrying this huge burden on his heart. He said, he finally, he said, I went down to Florida, he said, for a vacation, and all I did was cry, pleaded, you know, wept before God. I was so brokenhearted. Finally, I came back. He said, you know what? He was so upset. He said, I couldn't even talk to my daughter. He decided not to say anything to her anymore. He says, I'm just going to commit it to God. He said, I finally released it all to God. And he said, one day he was at their prayer meeting on a Tuesday night, and you know, the choir was singing. This is a big prayer meeting. Church is advancing through prayer. And one of the people in the church's uh, pastor symbol, I feel deeply impressed. We need to stop the service and pray for your daughter. She didn't know anything about what was going on. He said, I'd only told the core leaders in the church. She says, I know the spirit of God's just prompted me. And he said, I was reticent to do that. I didn't want to make it about me, all these people with their needs. But he said, I felt like, yeah, this is the right moment. And he said, okay. He said, my daughter's in a terrible way. She doesn't know black from white, white from black. She's so confused in her life. She's so broken. And the congregation began to weep and pray. And he said, heaven came down. It was just like it was a birthing room, he said. The Spirit of God came. I went home. He says, I knew that I knew that I knew it was over. God was going to win the victory in my daughter's life. He said, I came home. My wife wasn't there. He said, Carol, it's over. She said, what do you mean it's over? Chrissy's going to get turned around. We said, we had a prayer meeting tonight you wouldn't believe. It was just powerful. You have to understand, his church, they have 2,500 people at their prayer meeting. 
So, I mean, when these guys are crying out to God, this is their church and they're intense. This was an intense prayer meeting. So they prayed and cried out to God. It doesn't matter. It could be 10 people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the numbers. But I'm just telling you, that's what their prayer meeting's like. He said three months later, uh, he was shaving and his wife came up and said, listen, Jim, you need to go downstairs. Chrissy's here. And he, he went, what? She says, you just need to go downstairs. He went downstairs and there she was on the floor sobbing. And she says, Daddy, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. Please forgive me. So when I looked in her face, I knew that was the girl that had left home. She was no longer that hardened, rebellious child anymore. And he said, we brought her back home with her little child. And within three years, he said, she was married to one of the men in our church and is serving in one of their Bible colleges, uh, on staff at one of their Bible colleges. God can break through. That's what we need to understand. We have power and authority in our lives. Do you think you and I can get to know God better? Is it possible to get to know God better? Is it possible to access the riches that we already possess in Christ? Absolutely. You know why I think this is so critical? I want to close with this. We're going to stand as we close. Let's stand. I want to just say this. Do you know why it's so important to know God better? I'm going to tell you why. I've been a pastor for a long time now. And some of you have been saints for a long time. And I want to ask you guys that have been around for a long time, how many you can look over the landscape and say there were people that were once walking with God or no longer walking with God? How many can say that's true? They needed to know God better. Right? A lot of them. You know what really shakes me up? When I read the story of King Solomon, that's a warning. King Solomon was a young man who had visions of God. King Solomon was a young man that God gave absolute wisdom. He had the most wisdom possible. He's the guy that wrote Proverbs. And yet Solomon, with all of his wisdom, he even warned against the things he did. Can you imagine? In the end, what did he do? He says his heart were turned away from the Lord and he began to worship the idols. Remember that? That's how he ended his life. I think we need to get to know God better. I think we need to get to know God better every single day. I believe that if you and I would wake up in the morning and we'd take our Bibles and get on our knees or journals or whatever, how you do your devotional time, maybe some of you don't have that, but I'm gonna just tell you what happens. We need to pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my understanding. Speak into my life today. I wanna know you better. That should be my prayer every single morning. I say, Lord, I wanna know you better. I'm not satisfied. There's, there's depths in you I've never touched before. There's things about you I don't even understand yet. There's things that I'm learning about you. You know, I'm like a little kid in a candy store. Every time, I, you know, I get my Bible and God starts opening thoughts up to me. I, I'm just going like, this is so amazing. I'm, I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. You know, when you keep doing that, eventually God can start speaking to you. You know, last night while I was sleeping, God was preaching my sermon for next Sunday in my mind. Do you know that? That was happening. That's so amazing to me. God's already saying, this is what I want you to say next Sunday. I'm like, wow, this is in my dream. God is showing me what he wants me to say. You think the Spirit of God wants to do unusual things in our lives? You bet he does. You, you want to know it. God wants to do powerful things. How many here say, you know, Pastor, I want to know him better. I want to know him better. I want to know this God better. I want to... I want to dive into the ocean of God and know him better. I want to take all of my drive, my energy, my passions, my longings, and my desires. I know that they're found in God. 
and I want to run to him until every one of those deep cries, these deep longings, these deep sighs, these deep desires are fulfilled in him. Because the world is trying to seduce us and to tell us that all of those longings inside of your heart can be met here when they can only be met in him. With every head bowed right now, we're just going to pray a prayer. We're just say, how many here say, I want to I recommit myself to, to running after God. I want to recommit myself to knowing him better. I want to dive into the ocean of God. I want, to, I want to pray these prayers. I want to go take a look at that Ephesians text. I want to pray, Lord, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God in order to know you better. I want that. I want that. I got both hands raised. I want that. I pray in the morning that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened. Open me up, God. I can't imagine communing with anybody more exciting, more dynamic. All the good stuff you want to download into my life. It's almost like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting a software download. It's an update, but it's God every day updating my software, my heart. He's updating me. And this morning, right now, Father, we're standing in your presence and we're hitting the button on our, in our soul's computer and we're saying, I want the update today. I want to update. I want you to deposit in my heart what I'm going to need for the rest of this day. And I pray, Lord, that you're going to give me inside of this update a heart after you so that I will get up in the mornings and I will update every single day. I want the daily update. I want to check in with you. I want your spirit to come. I want you to begin to reveal yourself to me so that I might know you better, that I may walk with you, that I might understand the authority and the power that you have given to us as your children. Father, I want to be used of you in a manner and way that I've never been used by you before. I want to see you do amazing things even though I am a little earthen vessel. Lord, there's a power inside of me that is so great. I want to see that released through my life. I want to see lives changed. I want to minister to people, even those I may not even know because I have an avenue called prayer that can reach around the world and touch the lives of literally thousands of people. I thank you for that. I thank you for your presence this morning. It was our prayer today as we were crying out to you that we would know that God has been in this place. That you would download into our souls your divine nature. You would intensify that. You would awaken it. Lord, there's an awakening, a stirring that you want to create within us. And I pray today that that stirring would begin, Father, that you would begin this reviving in our hearts, a renewing, an awakening in our soul, oh God, that would fuel us in the days to come. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.